Welcome to Waking Up to Grace, Full Grace, Nothing in Its Place. I'm Lenny, and today I'm going to be continuing a, a conversation on baptism. Uh, there, I had several uh, Facebook comments in the comments section under my first uh, take on baptism that I did, my first video, and so I figured I needed a follow-up video just to reconcile some of these things. There was uh, a lot going on in the comments section, and a lot of the comments that I made uh, got deleted. Somebody must have deleted some of the things they said um, after realizing that it didn't really work uh, in Scripture, possibly. Um, and so all the comments got scrambled around, and I just cleared them all out after that because it just made a mess out of things. But I did want to address the the issue uh, for those who might have seen the comments so that we can get to the bottom of, of what they were proposing here. So uh, the proposition was uh, a couple of passages in the book of Acts where um, it, if you look at things out of context completely, you could come to the conclusion that baptism is necessary for salvation and that baptism cleanses us of our sins. And baptisms where we get our forgiveness initiated and uh, somebody even went as far as to this person even went as far as to say that uh, baptism is what we do out of faith. It's a work of faith. It's not a work of the law because we're not under law. It's a work of faith. And uh, so they, they literally added something to faith and changed the definition of faith to suit their legalistic needs. And I was uh, really shocked to, to see people take it to that extent. There's no place for that in the faith, um, in my mind. And uh, doctrine is very important uh, when we look at and notice these things that uh, we can't really gather in peace as Christians when people are meddling with the doctrines and making rules and regulations. So let's address this and get this squared away. Why don't we? And uh, we'll start, I'm going to start by addressing faith. Uh, because of that comment made, I think we need to understand what faith is, where it comes from, how it works, and what it isn't. And uh, so we're going to do that by looking at the context of Scripture, and then we're also going to address those passages in Acts um, in their context. And in context, you know, oftentimes means looking before and after a passage and what was written, who was written to, why it was written, and so on and so forth, kind of taking a full examination of the passages and everything around it to determine what it could have meant. But other times we have to dig a little deeper when a passage looks a certain way and go into all of Scripture and what does all of Scripture teach about something. So what does all of Scripture teach that we need to be saved? What does all of Scripture teach faith means? Uh, those are the questions that we're going to be looking at here. And so without further avail, let's dig in and take a look at this topic even further. Okay, so we're going to start off by looking at faith, as I said. And uh, so let's let's just look at faith and belief because they kind of stem from the same source um, and they come from the same source. And uh, so what did Jesus say? Let's just go back to what Jesus said the work of God was. You know, there was a lot of things that Jesus said, and we go over these things in our ministry constantly uh, to try to put in context some of the hard things that Jesus said that sound uh, terrifying to others. But here's something real easy that he said, real easy to comprehend. He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he sent. So what does that tell us? It tells us what the work of God is. What is God's work in us? 
It's that he causes us to believe in the one who he sent. We believe. So belief in the one who he sent is how we're saved. That's the work of God. And if that's the work of God, that's how we're saved, right? So it would seem. And so let's go further and we'll look at Romans chapter four, verse four. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So it's there again. It's one who believes. One that does not work but believes is justified and made righteous apart from works. John 3.16, the classic passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what is the requirement? What is the only caveat that uh, there is to becoming a Christian? We have to believe. Now, some call that easy. Others call that impossible. But for the sake of this, we're just going to leave it at that. We all agree that you have to believe. And that's how we're saved. That's what all of Scripture teaches. So John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's Jesus talking. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me. So that kind of agrees with what we heard earlier. The work of God is the one to believe in the one who he sent. So he says that those pass from death to life. So how do we pass from death to life? We believe in the one who he sent. So let's take a look at now at what Timothy says that's quite interesting about faith. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, and now this is an interesting passage, and I'm going to have to address the girl in the room quickly. This will be a little extra treat on top of the topic. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. So he's talking about how we were crucified with him on the cross. The old self is dead. So we will also live with him if we died with him. If we endured, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Now I'm going to pause right there because people use this one a lot. If we disown him, he will disown us. People will use this. You know, somebody, maybe they fold under pressure and, and maybe they're a little scared and they fold under pressure. If you disown him, oh, he's going to disown you. No, that's not what the passage is saying. They're not saying that you have to go around and, and uh, force your, yourself or else uh, to, to constantly be supporting him in every situation. Otherwise, you're not saved. I mean, that, that's, that's some harsh legalism in and, of, in and of itself. I don't think any Christian is going to disown Christ in their heart when it comes down to it. But there, I'm sure, historically been some people with a weak conscience uh, that were able to do so under pressure to save their own skin. And does that mean that they're not saved? Does this passage mean that you're not saved? Is there a rule that you have to you have to not disown him in order to be saved? Well, I, sorry, I had to address this. This doesn't have a lot everything to do with faith, but it has a lot to do with faith, actually. 
Uh, let's look at the next passage just to show you what I mean about context. It, then it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Wow. So if we're faithless, we're faithless. He remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. So when the spirit of the holy living God is living inside of you, he can't disown you. You are not going to disown him at heart level. So it doesn't matter, you know, if, if somebody scared you and you said the wrong thing at heart level, you can't disown him and he can't disown you because he can't disown himself. Pretty cool, huh? So what does that tell you about faith? That when we're faithless, he's faithful. What does that tell you about your faith? What does it tell you uh, how much of that faith is coming from, from your self-effort? How much of it matters? How much of your self-effort and faith accomplishes anything? Think on that for a minute. And then we'll go on to this next passage. Okay, so yeah, that was eye-opening. But now let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, it reads, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing, I'm kind of coming in at the middle of the passage, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So he's talking about spiritual gifts here. I kind of cut that off. I don't know if I did that on accident or on purpose, but I kind of cut off the passage. But if you read it and uh, check up on me in this context, you'll see that uh, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And then in the, so there's this diversity among spiritual gifts. We're not all going to have the same ones. So, you know, if you have somebody teaching you that a certain spiritual gift is, is the necessary one to prove your faith or it shows that you have faith and, um, you know, that if you don't have this gift, you, you don't have faith. Well, that's debunked. And who, who distributes these things to begin with? Um, to each one, it says God does, the spirit does, and just as he determines, not as you determine. So if you determine you want to start speaking in other languages, that's not going to do you any good. The Spirit's going to determine if you speak in another language to reach somebody with the gospel. And uh, so, sorry, it's not up to us. You know, you can pray. You can pray for it. And when you pray from the heart, you know, you know, we, we get listened to often. So God is, God is good. And he, he takes care of his children. We're family. We can pray in all things. But don't expect to trump God with your self-effort. So then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, it says, now faith. Now, this is sort of a definition that we have in scripture of faith. Uh, Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith is not an action, is it? No. And faith is not something that we produce. Faith is not an, uh, an action that we produce. Faith has nothing to do with the things that come from it. 
because Hebrews went on to describe things that were done because of faith, not to prove faith or to accomplish faith. Faith is merely the vehicle God uses. Uh, God uses it to work his grace within us, to glorify himself through us. Faith itself is not an action. It's passive in relationship to our abilities. It's passive. Do you understand that? It's a passive thing in relation to our abilities. In, in other words, we're not actively doing anything. This faith comes from God. And so in us, there's no action taking place. Faith is the vehicle God uses to do his work. It is God who is at work in us, as scripture teaches. So faith is simply the mechanism that God uses to deliver his graces to us and to grow us in his grace. And that faith just so happens to be given to us by him. And I'll prove that in scripture next. And you might be interested to hear this. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter three, verse three. For by the grace given me, Paul says, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Did you hear that? In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. That is magic. That is a miracle. That is something to be in awe of. God distributed our faith. And as Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. A lot of times people think that the faith part was theirs and the grace part was God's. No, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, the vehicle. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So faith. Is not an action. Faith is not a thought process that you came up with. Faith is not a decision that you made. Faith is nothing that you did whatsoever. And that's the beauty that we have to be able to come to terms with, to be able to fully understand the heart of the gospel, the heart of Jesus Christ. So let's take that and grasp it and cling to that, will we? I say we do. And uh, so I'm going to skip back now to the passages. Now that we have a better handle on faith and what it is and what it means, now let's address these passages and in their context and really examine these passages that were brought against me for preaching grace and for preaching that salvation is only by faith, only through belief, and not by water baptism. Let's take a look and see what these passages say and uh, take a closer look at them in truth and uh, not, not in the flesh. Okay, so the first passage uh, that was brought up was, uh, would have been, let's see, Saul's conversion. Um, no, never mind, that's not Saul's conversion. This is, this is uh, something that happened with Peter here. Uh, Acts 2, verse 36 through 38. Uh, this is going to be the easy, uh, English Standard Version. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So in context, he, he was speaking to Jews and talking and preaching to them that they crucified the Christ. He was the real deal and they crucified him. But he he's back and he rose from the dead to become their God. And 
he was a, a God that was going to rule by spirit, not by law. He was teaching them this. And so then he goes on, he says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So they they heard it and, and must have believed him and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now what an amazing passage. You know, they asked him what he should do, and he told them, this is what you should do. Go do this now that you believe. And um, so what what is, what is combined with this? Well, of course, somebody said, be baptized. They had the part, be baptized, and so that... Uh, your forgiveness of sins, uh, you know, will be received and you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there's more to that passage. He says, repent. And guess what we have to do in order to believe? What's the first thing that God does in faith to us? He changes our minds. We now realize that we were dirty, wretched, evil people at heart and that we needed a savior to save us from that and that he wanted us to be at heart level good. And so he made us good. So that's repentance is what caused that. And Peter said, be baptized. You know, there could, if, we, if we're going to reconcile this with scripture, we have to look at this, that be baptized could have been meaning both. Go get baptized in water and be baptized with the spirit, because there is only one baptism that saves us. And it's the baptism of the spirit. So he could have been using symbolism. He could have been referring to the spirit. And it could have been any of several things going on in this passage, That, but we have to reconcile it with the truth, the rest of the truth in Scripture, and not go building a doctrine on this one passage that's telling everybody you have to be saved. That makes no sense. Water does not forgive our sins. The repentance and calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding what he did and believing in what he did gives us the forgiveness. So that's why he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, because water is worth nothing without the name of Jesus Christ, who is the forgiver of the sins. And then you will receive the Holy Spirit. So they, they were on their way to repentance. They just didn't get it yet. And, and so he's, he's teaching them, okay, so this, go repent, change your mind, declare, you know, declare for yourself, you know, that Christ is Lord and, and did all these things. It, it's really not complicated. It's by grace. Uh, it's by faith alone through grace that we're saved, not by water. Come on, guys, get it together. <laughs> Acts 22, verse 12 um, is, is the next passage that we look at. This one is, is Saul's conversion. It says, and one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews, who lived there came to me and standing by me said to me brother Saul receive your sight and at that very hour I received my sight and saw him and he said the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will wow talk about faith the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will that sounds an awfully lot like God's work to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Did he just literally tell Paul exactly what the rest of his life was going to be? And Paul loved it? That's crazy because Paul was excited about it. How, how does somebody just tell you that unless it's coming from the spirit? Somebody who has more power over our will than we can have over our own. 
uh, he just changed Paul around into from a murderer to a, an amazing master evangelizer and, uh, and just an awesome awesome example of christianity and he himself said it was for god's glory that he picked such an awful sinner for god's glory so that god's light would shine through him as this from an evil murderer to uh to an evangelist amazing and now why do you wait he says rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name there again baptism washing away sins or calling on his name I'd go with calling on his name. The baptized part was really cool, really great celebration. They they liked to kind of seal the deal with a celebration. I get it. It makes sense. But that is not faith. That doesn't come, you know, that's that's not an act. Baptism is not an act that gets you saved. It, it, it's it's not. It's not possible unless we just do damage to all of scripture and what the mean meaning of faith is, what it means to believe and be saved. And uh, so let's go on and, and look at Acts chapter 10, verse 40, 44. Um, we're going to look at a couple examples here. Think of a couple of examples where after water baptism began, people had been given the Holy Spirit uh, before being baptized in water. And just to further prove in Scripture that the water baptism did not deliver the Holy Spirit. And if you believe that you can have the Holy Spirit and not be saved, you've done all kinds of damage to Scripture now. You might as well just call yourself a heretic and move on with your life. Because the Spirit of God, when it comes into you, is poured into you as passage after passage in our ministry goes over and teaches us. The Spirit of God comes into you. It does not leave you. And that is a scriptural fact. And uh, I'm not going to get into that on, on, on deeply on this, uh, on this teaching because we have tons of them out there. If you haven't come to that conclusion yet, we might as well not even be talking about baptism because you got bigger problems to solve. Okay, so the passages in Acts as well, you know, that, uh, that reveal... Um, that believers had received the Holy Spirit. And of course, there's doctrines on this that go on and on and explaining about the, how the Holy Spirit was just making an example. They weren't saved by it. This was a completely different way that the Holy Spirit used just to prove that the Gentiles would be saved and so on and so forth. And they create these fleshly man-made doctrines just to build and build and build upon what? We have to get dunked in water in order to be saved? What is that put in place of? What is that put in place of? The cross of Christ? It's just silliness. Um, sorry, <laughs> a little bit heated because I just can't uh, can't believe the heresies that go on within the faith, and it's just sad, causing others to stumble in such a way. So let's let's just look at the fact of the matter here. People receive the Holy Spirit before baptism. That's the fact. Uh, Acts 10, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Okay. Well, so we have it. People received the Holy Spirit before the celebration of the water occurred. Peter wanted to celebrate, but he recognized that they had the same salvation 
and it was not from the water. You can't get around that. You can try. I don't know why I would listen to you. But, you know, it's easier to convince people uh, uh, to that they're being lied to than to lie to them. So that's just the fact of the matter, especially spiritually. Acts 11.15 uh, also says, as I Peter goes on to explain further, he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave uh, to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Well, I think that speaks highly to the people that are going around preaching water baptism. Stop standing in people's way. You know, your your flesh is just getting in the way of the things of the Spirit. Just stop it. Encourage people if you if you love the celebration. By all means, I think it's fantastic. I'm not hating on water baptism. I'm hating on what people try to say it is. Nobody, no apostle, Jesus himself, none of them would ever teach such heresy. Mark 16, 16 um, was another passage um, used that uh, evidently thought they were just going to put me in my place and rearranged all of God's truth with this one. You can't fight the truth. I'm sorry. You're, you, put, you can put me in my place, but you're not going to defeat the truth. Mark 16, verse 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Well, first, there's a problem. Are you doing that? Are you going around all the world? Or was he just talking about the, the fact that the message was also going to be to the Gentiles as well as the Jews? Of course, evangelism is a thing. But this, this, was, this, was, not a, this was not something that is a must for the faith. And uh, either is this next one, if you're looking at it as water. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So belief, baptism, well, we explained in the first video very clearly that there's different baptisms. There's one of the Spirit, and there's one with water. The water was the one that John the Baptist was doing, and the Jesus was doing the one with the Spirit. They continued on to celebrate with water, and we see evidence of this in Scripture. It's absolute. You can't get around it. The apostles were baptizing with water, but they were not preaching it as for salvation. And uh, another example that um, that I was using to try to help these, these people out was the thief on the cross. So water baptism was going on, um, you know, during the time that the thieves were on the cross with Jesus, right? They were, they were baptizing in water at that time. And here's this thief on the cross that if you look at the gospel accounts of the gospels had to have been, um, actually mocking Jesus in the beginning, because one of the Gospels records that both thieves were mocking him. And another one talks about this one thief that repented. And uh, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, because he said, Lord, remember me. He honored him as Lord, and he believed in him. He saw what he was doing on the cross. God inspired this man to repentance and belief. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Prior to that, this man was a thief. He was a lawbreaker. Um, <laughs> we have absolutely zero evidence to believe, as some were promoting, that he was somehow probably a Christ follower that stole, and that was okay because he was stealing bread for his family and not breaking the moral laws of God. 
And uh, no, no, that's that can't be the case if he was mocking Jesus, not to mention he was proclaiming from the cross that he had what was coming. Jesus didn't deserve anything and he was being being tortured. They they refer to him as a as a criminal, a thief, a lawbreaker. They didn't refer to him as a, oh, a fellow martyr on the cross standing next to Jesus, decided to mock him and then decided to believe in him. And um, so, you know, there again, another example, another pretty clear cut example of somebody being saved without water baptism. Behold, water baptism is not necessary for salvation. And uh, so a few more things to say before we finish. And uh, we'll look at a couple more passages and um, and then we'll we'll close out soon here. All right, so as we close out, I'm going to take a look at a few more passages here. But first, I, I just wanted to, to send a message to those who uh, teach that we need to take actions by faith to receive salvation by faith. I'm sorry to say it, guys, but you've perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ and put self-effort in the place of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Repent. Stop your way of thinking. It's no good. You guys got to stop doing that to other people and to yourselves for the sake of God. Uh, please repent. Please look into these issues closer and realize where you're wrong. I pray that you do. I pray that your heart is in the right place and your mouths and your minds are not. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that you guys are going to come around. Um, I, I just hope that what you're speaking is not from the heart. Um, so anyhow, I, I just wanted to end with a warning. Uh, so Jesus, uh, when they, and this is in the, in the gospels, it says when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Uh, be careful. Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread of wherever their discussion. Jesus asked you of little faith. Why are you talking among yourself, amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was talking to you about bread, that I was not talking to you about bread? He says, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in the bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus is warning us to not fall for legalism. Legalism is when people put things in place of faith and or add things to faith or add things to the gospel or take things away from the gospel. Uh, here at Waking Up to Grace, we believe in full grace and we put nothing in its place. And uh, people challenge us constantly on that. And they they come to find that they're they're they have no evidence for it because you can't fight the truth. Give it up. We're here for truth and nothing but truth. And if you want to promote lies just because they feel better, they're more catering to the world and the flesh, you know, go and follow those things. But that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help you guys understand what the scripture teaches and not hold back. I'm not going to hold back on the truth just because it offends somebody. This is the truth. And we are, uh, and this is our office as Christians to hold it up. I say, I say, this is, this is just the duty at heart that we, that we strive for. We can't, I can't help it. 
Um, so I hope you guys are enjoying this video and uh, uh, please excuse my harsh tones, but uh, you know, the, the, the passion of, for truth just uh, has to be there and people that are trying to make self effort that passion and they're getting upset. That's just a worldly uh, upsetness. That's just a, that's just a false spiritual passion. There's nothing spiritual about it. They just don't like to be wrong. And so they continue on believing in the lies. And that's the way the flesh is. And so let's just be careful what we're following. If we're going to be spiritual, let's discern scripture spiritually. Spiritually, let scripture be scripture. Let God be God. Don't try to make it the way you want it to be. Just believe it the way it is. Amen, you guys. All right. Have a good day out there. And thank you for waking up to grace with us. Don't forget, we have a podcast. We're on Facebook and YouTube. Um, you know, you can probably, you know, find us on other platforms like Twitter. We're not that active on there right now, or I just don't have the time to be on every single platform. Can you believe it? <laughs> but I love being here with you guys and I really hope you're enjoying the show and, uh, and, uh, just rejoicing in the grace of God. Let God's glory shine in us, right? Let God's glory shine through us. We're here for his glory. Let's not forget that. It's not about us and our actions. We're here for his glory not the other way around. And his love is what makes us loving people in the first place, isn't it? So let's rejoice in that. God's love is great. Amen.